I probably shouldn't tell you this. But I'm nervous. People sometimes ask me, do you still get nervous? Yes, I do. I do. And it gets better. It's gotten better. I think I'm more confident today than I was when I first became a pastor. But you learn some things along the way that help. Uh, I once had a pastor said to me, if you forget what you say, then all you need to do is repeat what you said and walk back to your notes slowly. All you need to do is repeat what you said and walk back to your notes slowly. For the four people that laughed, it's totally worth it. Glad that landed. But I'm a bit nervous, and there's a reason. Because I really, really, really care. I want to do a good job. I want you to grow in your faith. If I'm being more transparent, I would love for you to be impressed, wowed by my robust and eloquent vocabulary. But the real reason, the deeper reason why I'm nervous today, um, I can't risk this message only making it right here today. But this message has to make it right here. It's got to make it to the heart. Because today we're talking about repentance. Today we're talking about repentance. Turn to your neighbor and as loud and proud as you can say, repentance. All right, we're all engaged. We're ready to go. So today we're starting a new series called Base Camp where we're gonna be looking at the articles of faith within the Nazarene Doctrine. And that's articles of faith might sound like a scary official term, and it is. I'm just kidding, it's not. What it is is they are the essential church, the essential beliefs that the church holds. And I would argue that the Big C Church would align pretty well with what the Nazarenes have uh, decided to emphasize as their articles of faith. And so I, I think it'll be easy things for you to buy into, but the reason that we want to focus and do a four-week series called Base Camp is because we need to get ready. We need to build our faith. We need to grow as Christians because what we believe influences how we behave. But let me back up. If you were to climb Mount Everest, so, so Faith and I, we're pretty adventurous. We just got back from Maine a couple weeks ago. We went on some hikes up there. We, we love visiting national parks. Everest is like, it's not gonna ever make the list. One, it requires uh, a certain caliber of physique and strength that I certainly don't possess. So it's just off the table. And, but with Mount Everest, there's, it takes about 60 to 75 days to climb. Now, the more intriguing statistic is that 
half of those days aren't even spent climbing. They're spent at base camp. Now there are four camps that you're gonna stop at along the way to the top of Mount Everest. The first one, the first one is called base camp. And then the three other camps that you would reach are, are just other camps that you would go along the way and you would spend up to two weeks there and you would do one of a few things. Number one, and probably most important, you would acclimate. You need, your, your lungs need to acclimate to the thin oxygen levels that are there, the low oxygen levels that are there. And so that would be the first thing that you do. But also, in a way, you need to kinda get your strength back from the last leg of the hike or the last leg of the climb. And so you would rest, you would prepare, you would continue to map out, you would continue to check the weather, you would talk to climbers as they come on their way down and ask how it was on their recent hike. And so you would map out your hike based on the conditions those particular days and weeks. Base camp is super, super important. In fact, let's say you climbed Mount Everest last year. Let's say you've climbed Mount Everest 10 times. Let's say you've been there, done that. Let's connect it to church. You've been there, you've done that, you're here today, you've grown in your faith, you know what repentance is, you've experienced repentance. But let me just hit the pause button. There is never a trip that you take to Everest where you don't need to stop at base camp. You can't skip it. You can't go past it. If you do, you'll die. Base camp is essential for the success of Mount Everest. And so whether you have been a Christian for 80 years, whether this is the first eight minutes you've spent in church, we're gonna stop at base camp. We're gonna dissect this because it is so crucial and it is so important to our faith. In fact, I would argue our faith doesn't win without it. And so I want all of us to dig into repentance because what you believe determines how you behave. So let's talk about repentance. Um, before we dig in, we're gonna allow the story of Jonah which might be another familiar story for you all in the Old Testament. That's what's gonna shape our understanding of repentance today. Um, so some of you might not know this. I have to say it with the hopes that they're listening online. Uh, so Grace Cadell, who you may know, is not with us today. And every single Sunday morning for the entirety of my, uh, for all of my time being a youth pastor, every single morning she's asked me the same question. Hey, can I teach on Jonah and the whale this morning? And my answer has been the same for three and a half years. No, you may not. <laughs> now she's taught uh, over COVID and she taught online to a bunch of our students. So she's been able to share her passion for this, but she's on vacation today. So I told her that I would make sure to mention her because this is the moment that she has been waiting for and she's not able to share it with us. So uh, anyway, we miss you, Grace. Uh, so today we're gonna to be digging into Jonah and the whale, but before we do, I wanna equip you with one thing before we begin our trek and journey through this story. Because you might be familiar with it, but there's a few things I want you to look for. I want us to go ahead and define what repentance is so that we can actually look for it in the story. So repentance this is this, repentance is this. To change one's mind, purpose, or direction. So in our story today, I want you to look for when Jonah changes his mind, his purpose, or direction, whether for good or for bad. 
I want you to pay attention to that. Now, the Articles of Faith, kind of, the Nazarene Church has written a little bit more on this, and they add this to it, and I really, really love the way that they say it. They say that repentance is a sincere and thorough change of mind in regard to sin, involving a sense of personal guilt and voluntary turning away from sin. Voluntary, I like that word. That means it's just like our last series, it's your move. That's essentially what that is saying as well. Repentance is your move, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. So repentance, to change one's mind, purpose, or direction. Got it? Turn to your neighbor and say, got it. All right, we're all on the same page. Jonah, chapter one, and we're going to work through this story rather quickly. And I want you to listen. When does Jonah do that? So let's read. Jonah chapter one, verses one through three. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away, turned away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great and mighty wind. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own good and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. Skipping a few verses. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So all of the sailors went down to sleeping Jonah and asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that the great storm has come upon you. It's my fault. Then jumping to verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And as you know, as they throw him overboard, the sea grew calm and a massive fish, like Moby Dick, catapults out of the water, swallows him up, and we immediately jump into chapter two. Keep listening. Repentance, change of mind, purpose, or direction. Listen for repentance in Jonah chapter two. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple change of mind, change of direction. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Change of mind. 
and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Let me read that again. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise in the belly of a fish, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love this story. I absolutely love this story. And, and hopefully through the emphasis, you, you were able to quickly see how this is very much a story of repentance. How Jonah changed his mind, purpose, and direction toward Christ. My salvation comes from the Lord, was his ending statement before he is vomited out of the fish, right? But for the first time, probably ever, I noticed something I hadn't noticed before. And that is, it really bothers me that there's only two verses that talk about Jonah actually being in the fish. It's almost as if the writer like, just wants us to be okay with the fact that a dude just got swallowed by a fish. And Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Next verse. And we're just supposed to act like that's no big deal. Like that's just, oh, it's the Old Testament. Crazy things happen. He gets swallowed by a fish. That's bad news. If that were showing up on my Facebook feed, which I'm pretty sure a few weeks ago somebody got swallowed by some sea creature for a few days. Some of you are nodding your head. Yeah, like I would click on that instantly. I would get sucked down that rabbit hole. If it said, man swallowed by a fish, spit out three days later on, you know, some unknown. I would, I would click on that, right? Because I would give me the details. But it doesn't go there. It doesn't emphasize that. The writer doesn't want us to get sucked into the bad news like we so often do. Because that doesn't matter. What matters is the redemptive and repentance response that, Jonah's, that Jonah offers. That's what the writer wants us to focus in on. The good news, not the bad news. And so what do we see in the good news? We see Jonah in verse 4, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He had turned away in verse three. He will look again toward God's holy temple. Verse six, but you, Lord my God, brought my life, life back up from the pit. He's recognizing his mind is being changed. His purpose is being changed. Verse seven, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. I remembered you. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So in that moment, he's recognizing, in a way, what he had just done. He had turned away from God, turned away from God's love, God's direction, God's desire, God's design. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. One of the big reasons I love this story so much, though, the good news story of this so much, is that in the belly of the fish, like when life is at its worst, like if I were to ask you, what is your belly of the fish moment? What I would mean is, what is the worst, darkest, like most horrific moment, maybe physically, maybe spiritually, of your life? I mean, this is, this is Jonah's. This is Jonah's literal belly of the fish moment. 
And I could ask you what yours is, and maybe you could think of it. But what I love about the repentance story, and I think there's a lot of truth here, because we like to separate this a lot in our uh, spiritual realm, is that Jonah, when he turned his spiritual life around, the direction of his actual life turned around. When he redirected himself, change of mind, purpose, direction, toward God, what were the effects? He's no longer in the darkness, in the gross smell. I don't even know what fish guts smell like, but one can only imagine what it would be like to live in the belly of a fish for three days. But he is literally spit out. His physical trajectory changes. And he is now pointed in the direction that God wants him to go. Not just his spiritual life. His physical life. The trajectory changes. And I think that's important for us. There are, I'll say this, it is impossible to get to the story of Jesus without first running in to repentance. Jonah is one of many, many, many stories in the Old Testament. You could look at 2 Samuel, Psalm, Amos, Hosea, Genesis. There are tons and tons of stories of repentance where we see this occur. And I'm not going to read through all of those verses for you, but I do, I want to dig a little bit further into Jonah's story because I think there's something unique about his story that we don't necessarily see narrators write about in some of the other stories. And it it happens in chapter three. So his spiritual trajectory has changed, change of mind, purpose, and direction. His physical trajectory has changed. He is now on his way to Nineveh. And then we get to verse six in chapter three, and we've got four verses here. And I, I want you to tune in. This is Unique, but I love it. When Jonah's warning, you know, the warning that God originally called him to, that he ran away from, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, I don't know why people do that, covered himself with a sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that the king of Nineveh issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, Taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently, urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Jonah's obedience of repentance led to the repentance of the people of Nineveh. In other words, repentance has ripple effects. You turning your life towards Christ will change the trajectory of those around you as well. It will, or I should say, it should change the trajectory of those around you as well. That when we align ourselves with God, not only we are, we're responding different, we're acting different, we have a whole new attitude and mind, mindset because what, our mind, purpose, and direction has changed. And so whatever group of people that we're in, it's gonna change their trajectory too. 
not only psychology, but the world thought leaders would tell us that the four to five people that you hang out with the most, you can kind of tell, I can tell you or they can tell you where your life is going to be based on the four to five people that you hang out the most with. And we saw that when Jonah was hanging out with the sailors. He had to make a conscious decision to change his direction, to say, guys, it's me, I need, I need to be thrown overboard. He had to make that decision, and it actually took a few verses for the sailors to actually allow him to do so, because they, they, they didn't want that for him. They were gonna keep letting him go in that direction, but finally, Jonah steps up, he makes that decision, and they toss Jonah overboard but your repentance has ripple effects. And so if you're thinking about your neighbor in regard to repentance and thinking about, wow, they really need to get their acts together. They really need to get themselves together. I really, or you're thinking about your spouse, you're thinking about your neighbors, you're thinking about your kids, and you're thinking about the direction that they're going. Your repentance should have ripple effects. So what direction are you going? Now we could just end it right here, send you home early, and I'd probably get a standing ovation because I let you out 15 minutes early. Just two, two more things. Um, as far as the story of Jonah goes, that's easy to connect with that story of repentance. We see what Jonah demonstrated for us, but I wanna, I wanna take that one step deeper, and it's maybe an element that we don't really, th maybe we've never made the connection before. So let me go over it again. Jonah turned away from God. Jonah was swallowed by a fish for three days. Um, Jonah repented, he was spit up by a fish, and the trajectory of his spiritual and physical life changed. Jonah represents the entire Old Testament. We have Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the Israelites, continually turning the wrong way. Adam and Eve turning away from God. And it just started that ripple effect as well, because it has the same kind of effect, you know what I'm saying, to make the wrong turn and the wrong decision. And you see the ripple effect all throughout the Old Testament, right, of people turning away from God, and God keeps calling them back, and they turn away from God. That's who Jonah represents. But then you have Jesus, you have God, who, who enters this 180 world where everybody's turned the wrong direction, and he voluntarily gets swallowed by the fish. He gets swallowed by death for three days, defeats death, comes back up, and now you and I have repentance. We have the opportunity to repent because of what Jesus did for us. You don't have to wait until you're swallowed by a fish to repent. You don't have to wait until darkness has closed in all around you. You don't have to wait until it smells gross, feels gross, where you just can't stand where you're at in your life anymore. But Jesus made a way three days in the grave, rose back up so that you and I have the opportunity to repent today so that our lives can turn around. Jesus has made a way. I'll say it this way. God turned everything around for humanity through Jesus so that we could turn around toward Jesus. God turned 
everything around for humanity through Jesus so that we could turn around and start going toward Jesus. That's what he did, and that's what repentance is. Romans 3.23 is still true. All have fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's still true. Jesus going and dying for our sins doesn't mean that we are born sinless, right? No, we, we still have to participate this. It's still your move. But Romans 10, 9 through 10 is also true. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love Jonah's story. It's an incredible Old Testament story that shows us what repentance is like, and you can connect it to the story of Jesus as well. We're a part of Jonah's story, but I, I want to share a New Testament story as well, because Jonah's story, epic fail story, disaster, like, that one's pretty bad. But there's one I think that's maybe a, a little bit more rehearsed, and it's, we're going to have to look at Peter for this one. If you don't know who Peter is, Peter was Jesus' closest disciple. Like, Peter was the, on this rock I will build my church, Peter. That's what Jesus said. That's who Peter is. And before Peter was a disciple, Peter was a fisherman. And in his professional fishing career, he was out one day, and Jesus calls to him and invites him to be a disciple, which for Peter, that was his act and moment of repentance, that he left everything that he knew behind, and he literally, physically, spiritually turned around, said yes to Jesus, and his, the trajectory of his life was changed. He repented, and he had turned and surrendered himself to Jesus. So Peter has now been serving Jesus for a couple years now. Jesus' closest disciple, the on this rock, I will build my church, Peter. And Jesus comes up to him, and he says, or he warns him, and he says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus, you're crazy. I'm all in. I'm all, I left the boat. I left fishing for fish to fish for, I, le, I did this for you years ago. Pfft, there's no way. Peter denies him three times, and after the third time, the rooster crows. And immediately, remorse, guilt, all the feelings the enemy wanted Peter to feel just overwhelm him. Have you ever noticed how sensory stimuli can trigger old memories? Uh, just last week, Faith and I were, after one of the big storms that came through, we went for a walk in the neighborhood, and it had like downpoured, but it was still like 90 and humid immediately after the storm. And so we're walking around our neighborhood, and she walks out, and sorry for the embarrassment, Faith, but she takes like the largest sniff I've ever seen someone take. She's like, because immediately the smell of that smell that comes right after a storm where it's still hot and you can almost see the heat rising, high, rising up off of the blacktop, that like hit her nose immediately. And she immediately was thinking about high school, college, soccer days. And she was like, oh, I love the smell just after a big storm because it takes me back to soccer. Immediately she took back for that. Well, I, I, here's the, with Peter, this works in negative ways as well. Every single morning, that rooster was crowing. 
And our urbanized minds maybe can't grasp this, but there is, I don't know that there's really more unpleasant sounds than a rooster crowing in the early, early, early hours of the morning. And so Peter was waking up on the wrong side of the bed every single day, that day after day after day, he was being reminded, you deny Jesus three times, you deny Jesus three times, you deny Jesus three times. And he's just got this perpetual losing streak going mentally, physically, spiritually. He just can't get over because every single day he's reminded of the mistakes that he's made. That's what the enemy likes to do, doesn't he? He likes to remind us and take us back to the mistakes that we've made. He takes us back to when we were in the belly of the fish, to the smell, to the sounds of what our life was like then. And he tries to get us on a losing streak. And for Peter, this is definitely true. This was definitely true for Peter. It's funny because Peter, in one of his books, writes, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. But the enemy crows like a rooster too. Reminds us of our mistakes, takes us back to when we messed up and wants us to feel remorse over and over and over again. Wants to get us thinking and clicking on the wrong and bad things. And a few days later, Peter has woken up a few days now listening to the rooster crow, and so he's being continually reminded of all the mistakes that he's made. And he goes to the other disciples, goes to his buddies, and he says, hey, you guys wanna, you wanna go fishing with me? Which might just seem like a statement of fact. But what's actually happening is Peter is turning around to his former life. He is so caught up and overwhelmed with the mistakes, he can't forgive himself of what he's done, that he's just decided, you know, maybe I'll have more luck in my old former way of life. Hey guys, let's just, let's hop in the boat. Let's just, let's go fishing. And so they hop in the boat and they go fishing and they fish all night, casting, casting, casting. Nothing, no fish. And then a voice from the shore calls out. Try the other side. And to be honest, it's kind of rude. Like, they're professional fishermen. Like, you don't, you don't think, you know, they know what they're doing. But for some, I'd like to think divine reason, they listened. And so Peter listening to the voice, he turns back around. And now to get to the other side of the boat, it's two and a half steps, seven and a half feet. He tosses the net out, and the catch is so big, they can't even pull it in. Immediately, Peter knows That was Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims and he, imagine him giving Jesus a hug. And all Jesus had to do was turn around, change his mind, purpose, and direction. Jesus is saying to us, I know you keep casting. I know you're not having any luck. I know maybe even you messed up. 
I went to the cross and died for you so you can turn around. Jesus, I'm not, it's, I'm, I'm fine right here. It's not gonna make any difference. I mean, the other side of the boat is seven and a half feet away. It's, it's two and a half steps. How is that gonna change the trajectory of my life? It's, it's literally right behind me. And Jesus is saying, that's the whole point. It's that easy. It's seven and a half feet away. It's two and a half steps away. All you have to do is turn around and you will find new life in me. It's that easy. That's all you have to do. That's what repentance is. It's that easy. All you have to do is turn around. Yeah, you might have to leave some things behind you that you've, maybe you've had success in before, that maybe have been great for you before, but really all they do is stir up more and more rooster crows, taking you back to what it was like before you had Jesus. Maybe you've never met Jesus. You don't know anything different. Jesus' invitation is the same. Just turn around. Just turn around. Repent. Confess. And I can't wait to see the ripple effects that take place because you turned your life around to me. Ben, you can come up at this time. Here's where I want to land. Whether you have repented years ago, whether you've never experienced God's grace in your life, No matter where you're at on the climb, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, everybody needs to stop at base camp. Just because you've repented before doesn't mean God's done with you. My hope is, is that he's continually stirring new things in you that you need to continually surrender or things come up or things change or you make mistakes or you deny Jesus three times. You are not exempt from repentance. just like Peter. But regardless of where you're at, Jesus is telling you, just turn around. I fish there, you're not gonna catch anything. Just turn around, I promise. It'll be so much more fruitful, it'll be so much better, because there's nothing else better than Jesus. And so Jesus' question to Peter is what my question for you is today. Are you willing to try the other side? Things aren't going well. Things don't seem right. Are you willing to try the other side? Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the life, death, and resurrection that you accomplished which has made repentance available to all of us. Maybe we feel like we don't need it. Maybe we feel like, ah, no, I'm doing all right, Jesus. But God, this is a great time to evaluate our hearts because you want us to surrender all of us to you. Every part, every inch, every moment, every decision. God, you want all of us because there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than a life fully pointed toward you. We might be one or two to three degrees off. That doesn't matter. You want us to recalibrate, to repent, and to get back on track with you, Jesus, because if we go off course day after day after day, we don't know where we're going to end up. God, we need you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else but you. Change of mind, purpose, and direction. 
God, I pray that we would repent today.